Here at Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. So 2020 has been an extremely challenging year. It's like the, the food that you order at a restaurant, and then when the waiter brings your order, you look at the food and you tell the waiter, sorry, this is not what I ordered. Uh, I think many of us as Christians, we might feel like that, but we just sort of wish we could, you know, just call God and say, God, you know, 2020, that's not exactly what I ordered. This isn't, this isn't what I had in mind at the beginning of this year. I mean, just quickly for a moment, think back on your New Year's resolution uh, that you took at the beginning of 2020. Um, and there's a meme, my favorite meme of this season so far that I want to share with you, um, and I'll show it to you on the screen. Um, and I think I love this because I think that's all of us. Beginning of this year, we were so ready for 2020, and every single company and every single church had this very, very corny line of 2020 vision. You know, we're going to have 2020 vision, which is quite ironic because no one had 2020 vision on what's going to happen in this year. 2020 got the better of all of us. Now, the big question as Christians that we need to answer is how do we respond in a season like this? Uh, a season of so much uncertainty and, and, and worry, and for some people, loss. And a, a season of so much change constantly, and brokenness and lack and need in our world. So the question is, how do we respond as Christians to a season like this? Now, in today's service, uh, we want to speak to you about three ways in which we need to respond as Christians. Firstly, we are called to respond in faith. Secondly, we are called to uh, respond in thankfulness. And thirdly, we are called to respond in a spirit of peace. Now, I'm going to take a few minutes to speak to you about responding in faith. How does that look practically? And then Christy will be speaking to you about how to respond in thankfulness. And then lastly, Lorraine will be speaking about how to respond in a spirit of peace. Now, when we speak about responding with faith, let's quickly just start off by asking the question, what is faith? Now, Hebrews 11 verse 1 gives us the best definition for faith when it says that now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not yet see. It's assurance about what we do not see. You see, that's what faith is, is when there is a conviction and a, a sort of certainty even when there is uncertainty, when there's conviction even when you don't see clearly. It is certainty in a time of uncertainty. Now, there's this beautiful scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16, 17, and 18, that I want to share with you today. Um, and it is a scripture that Paul um, was writing to uh, this uh, church in Thessalonians, and they were going through a similar season like we are going through. They were also struggling with a number of things. And then he gives them some very clear direction. Now, I love these three verses because they're like very short and punchy. And uh, this is the type of verses you can write on your mirror that you read every morning to motivate yourself to, you know, put on your running shoes or to go to the gym or whatever. Um, these are really, really inspirational, but so, so true and valuable. So he writes 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16, 17, and 18. goes as follows. It says, Always be joyful. Just that. Always be joyful. Secondly, never stop praying. And then thirdly, be thankful in all circumstances. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. 
This is what Paul is telling us, and this is the direction the Bible is giving us. And it goes on to say that, For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances. Now, what does it mean to be always joyful or to always be joyful? You see, that is when the measure of your joy is not determined by your circumstances. You see, when a person has something good happening to them, and that brings them joy. That doesn't take any faith. That's simple. Something good happens and you've got joy because of it. That doesn't take any faith. But faith is to have a measure of joy even if there is no circumstance, even if there's no reason for you to have joy, yet you have joy because your faith is determining your joy. It's not determined by your circumstances. And then verse 18 speaks about always be thankful or be thankful in all circumstances. Now again, if something good happens to you, if there are blessings in your life and you are thankful because of it, that is not faith. But faith is when there is no reason, no circumstance that you are supposed to be grateful, yet you are grateful because your gratefulness or gratitude is informed by your faith. That is faith when we are always joyful and we are thankful in all circumstances. That is the life that we are called to as Christians. Now, the reason I'm reading or speaking about verse 16 and verse 18 first is because I believe the key to do verse 16 and to do verse 18 lies in verse 17. If you want to always be joyful and be grateful in every circumstance, you need to never stop praying. That is what verse 17 tells us, is never stop praying. You know why that is important? You see, when we pray, we are not merely asking God to come and do something for us. When we pray, we are confessing the reality of God. Whenever you say, oh, our Father or, or, or Lord, when you start praying, you are confessing that there is a God and He is a reality in your life. And when we confess the reality of God, we are looking at God. And then what we see, God himself, he starts informing or determining the level of our joy and the level of our gratitude. Then no longer do we look at our circumstances or at the blessings in our life to bring us joy or gratitude, but because we are looking at God, because then faith starts informing the way that we live in terms of our joy and also our gratitude. That is why we should never stop praying. Never stop praying, never stop, stop speaking to God, never stop recognizing the reality of God, even in a season like this, a season of uncertainty. You can be certain about the reality of God. Now, friends, we need one another. We need to help one another to never stop praying. And that is why as a church, we are launching uh, this new initiative called our prayer group. Uh, we want to start a new, a, a large prayer group that we invite anyone in church, not only the prayer warriors, but anyone in our church to come and join us on this prayer group so that we can remind one another to never stop praying because we need this in a season like this. So we want to invite you. There is a link um, that you can click to join this group. Now, I know it's another WhatsApp group, but we promise you this is an admin-only WhatsApp group, so not everyone's going to be commenting on there, and we're also not going to spam you. It's just once a week. We want to remind you to keep your focus on God, to never stop praying, and we want to share you some, some, some prayer themes and prayer points so that as a church, we can be a church 
that never stops praying. So please join us um, in this new journey as we help one another with this new initiative. And with that, I'm going to hand over to Christy to speak to us about the second point. You and I have so much to be thankful for. Thankfulness is a central truth and a central discipline to Christianity. We could so easily just make a list of the things that we are thankful for. The fact that we have clothes, that we have food, a roof over our head, maybe a car, a job, loved ones uh, that give so much joy and meaning to our lives. There is so much we can be thankful for. But thankfulness is about way, way more than the things that we have. Because what if you've lost everything? What if you've lost your car and your job? Uh, what if you're not healthy at the moment? What if perhaps you've lost loved ones in the last while? Loved, loved ones that, that have suffered during this time. Where does thankfulness fit in then? Well, you see, thankfulness is actually a, a one out of ten thing. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, we read about this wonderful story, this thing that happens between Jesus and a group of men, and it epitomizes thankfulness. It actually gives meaning to what it means to be thankful and what God requires of us. So during this story, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and 10 men who have leprosy see him from a distance. Now, leprosy is a terrible thing. It's a skin disease. And especially during Bible times, when you had leprosy, you were isolated, you were rejected and thrown out of society. You weren't allowed to be among the people that you loved. And these 10 people, these 10 men, see Jesus and they cry out to him. They say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Obviously, they had heard of Jesus and that he was a healer and healed many sick people. And they couldn't believe their good fortune. Jesus does something very simple when he hears them. He says to them, go to the priests and show yourselves to them, which is in line with the Jewish law. Uh, when you were sick and you suspected that you'd been healed, you were supposed to go to the priests and they were supposed to examine you. And if they found that you'd been healed, you were allowed to reintegrate into society. And something amazing happens as these men start walking. They are healed instantly and miraculously. Uh, and just pause for a moment. Think, what, what would you have done if you were in their shoes? What would you have done when, if suddenly God healed you? Well, maybe you say, it's easy. I, I would run to my family. I would run to my wife and my kids. I would kiss them, kiss them and hug them. And I would, uh, I would, we would have a party. We would celebrate about this wonderful thing that has happened. And maybe as I, as I ran, you would say, I would just turn around and wave to Jesus and say, thank you, Jesus, great, I, I appreciate it. And I'd hope that he heard me. Well, that's more or less what happens here, except all these men disappear. All of them except for one. And we read about that in Luke 17. Uh, we see how one of them turns back. Verse 15 says, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan, which is even more shocking because uh, Jews didn't like Samaritans. And you wouldn't think that a Samaritan would actually go to the trouble of thanking Jesus, who was, by the way, a Jewish rabbi. Verse 17, we read, Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? 
And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. It's amazing what happens here. First, the man thanks God. He falls at his feet. And then Jesus says, stand up. Uh, your faith has healed you. What does this mean? What is thankfulness really about? You see, there's a huge difference between uh, being without leprosy and being healed. True thankfulness is not in the first place about what we have, what we have been given, what we have received, the things in our lives. But thankfulness is about realizing what God has done for this. When we realize this, when we have gratitude, faith is stirred up in our hearts and we are truly healed. You and I need to be so careful during uh, this very trying time that we find ourselves in, that we don't fall into the trap of thinking that when things go wrong, uh, when it seems like our prayers aren't answered, when there are all sorts of disasters in our lives, uh, we shouldn't think that we are victims, but we need to understand that in Jesus Christ, through his victory on the cross, uh, we have been made more than conquerors. We're going to watch a video now, and I want to uh, ask you, maybe in these few moments, uh, to think about it and to thank God that you are connected to the source. Not in the first place, the source of things that you receive, but the source, God himself, who is our peace, who is our uh, forgiveness, our salvation, who is our joy. Enjoy it. So there is this story in the Bible where Jesus meets his disciples in lockdown. The story happens right after Jesus got crucified and he has risen from the dead, but his disciples are totally unaware of it. We read about it in John chapter 20, and John lets us know and says, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Pharisees. And I mean, it really makes sense. The movement leader, the one that they were following, were just killed. They're obviously next. But in this room, we find his disciples filled, pacified with fear. They're totally disconnected, and they got stuck. And it's in this space that Jesus meets them. And the first thing Jesus does is he shows him the evidence of his finished work. John tells us that he took up and he showed them the wounds on his hands. And as they saw this, they were filled with joy. But there was one little problem. One of the disciples wasn't in the room. It is our unbelieving Thomas friend. When he got back and he heard about the news, all the disciples telling them, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive. He showed us unbelieving Thomas, as we so famously know, says, I will only believe when I can put my finger and into the holes of those wounds and see Jesus for myself. Eight days pass, and then finally, Jesus shows up again, and Thomas is in the room. Thomas sees, and he exclaims the following. He says, my Lord, my God, you are alive. He exclaims it out. Here's the thing. As disciples of Jesus, when we live in uncertainty about his victory and the message of the gospel, we get stuck. We get isolated. We get stuck in our thoughts, and then we, we get isolated. We get disconnected from Jesus. We kind of like 
I will only believe if I. And we just stop worshipping him. But it was in this moment where Thomas saw the finished work. He was confronted with the victory of Jesus. And, and that was the moment that he started exclaiming and just worshipping Jesus. The disciples were filled with joy. What does the victory of Jesus imply for you and me as disciples? Well, the first thing that it implies is that we are moving from distance to intimacy. You see, Jesus was on that cross and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced the only relationship that has never been distanced, and that is the Trinity, the Godhead. Jesus experienced for a moment in history how God pulled back and there was distance. And why? So that you and I can have intimacy. So the victory of Jesus means if we are in Jesus as disciples that there is no longer distance but we can have intimacy and therefore it's our first priority to cultivate this relationship that we receive through Jesus that we get by grace the second thing Jesus's victory gives us is that we have moved from being cursed to being favored by God you see after sin sin came into this world and death reigned we were subject to the curse of sin, you and me. But now because of Jesus on the cross, taking the full blow payment of sin, that curse, he has now become the blessing for you and me. And it's through his life that you and I can experience the favor of God. So the next priority for us as Christ's followers is to not allow worry to kill us. When we're uncertain, it's super important not to allow worry to overwhelm our minds, but instead to live in the fog, as they say, the favor of God. In the third thing that the victory of Christ implies is the fact that we have moved from a place of being defeated, from being victims, to being victorious. From defeat to victory. You see, Adam messed up, and because of that, we all lived in this place of defeat. We are all losers. We're all sinners. But now that we are born again in Jesus, we are children of God, and we live from this freedom of His victory. I'd like to encourage you to live from this freedom. Then after Jesus announced and the disciples were confronted with the finished work that we have in Jesus once we believe he did three very distinct things with his disciples because you see his victory restores us to a place of authority to rule to reign over every area and the first thing Jesus did when he when he arrived at his disciples lockdown room as he looked at them and he said, Peace be with you. Now what's interesting about this word peace is that peace literally means, the, the Hebrew word for, for peace is the word shalom, and that means wholeness, fullness, to be fully restored. And what Jesus is saying to his disciples when he meets them is he's saying, Guys, here right now in lockdown where you're pacified with fear, where you're isolated, you're not whole. You're not okay. 
and you need to be restored. That's the very first thing Jesus says to his disciples. Peace be to you. Maybe today Jesus is saying that to you. Maybe he's saying you're not okay. And today it's so important for you not to ignore this fact. Not to try and hide it. Not to try and pretend everything is okay. But maybe it's so important to just open up and say, Jesus, come and make me whole again. Now what's interesting about this is that Jesus doesn't just do it himself. His body plays a big role. The church, the family he puts around us is so important. This Listen to, to Paul as he writes about this. Colossians 3 verse 15 says the following, And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it. He says, Live in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. If you were disconnected during this lockdown time, I believe today it's time to get connected again. And not to get online or maybe to get on site. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about getting connected to the family of Christ. As Dr. Deo we say we're a family on mission. And it's so crucial for us to stay connected. The second thing Jesus does is he looks at his disciples and he says, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus activates them again. He says, guys, you are full pacified with fear. Here you sit. But there is a mission. I am bringing God's kingdom to this earth. And you're part of it. That's my mission. Maybe you've been in that space. Maybe Jesus is arriving in your lockdown room right now and he's saying, I'm sending you. Maybe the mission has become something of a passive nature. Today is the moment that God says, it's time to get active, to take up this mission. And then the last thing that Jesus does is so powerful. As he looks at his disciples, John says he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. This is so profound, guys. This is big theology because in the beginning in Genesis, we see God doing exactly the same thing. He breathes into a lifeless body of Adam. And suddenly, we have a living human being, a representative. And in this moment, Jesus fills his disciples once again with his spirit. Actually, in this time, for the very first time, we read about it. Maybe today, you've been running on empty during this lockdown season. And it's time to get filled again. So I'd like to invite you to listen to this next song. And maybe do some business with God. Maybe open up your heart. Maybe it's time for you to get connected again. Maybe it's time for you to get on mission again. Or maybe it's time for you to just say, Jesus, I'm ready for this. Fill me with your spirit and guide me. Empower me for this mission that you've given me. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.